as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. So a mother donkey with a colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away, send them back. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. This is the prophecy that my father read this morning. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle or humble, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and they did as Jesus had instructed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt, and they placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them, not meaning he sat on two donkeys, but he sat on the colt uh, and the, the coats that were on the colt. Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees, and they spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, and they asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this morning, we're at the, at the lunch. In just a moment, we're going to celebrate my 20 years in ministry, but I want to look back to a few years before that, about 23 years ago, I think, approximately. About 23 years ago, so about three years before I was here, when I was still in my late 20s, I uh, met with some pastors and elders to be interviewed about a possible ministry that I was going to be involved in. They wanted to interview, they wanted to talk to me to see if I was fit for, if I was ready for this particular ministry that they had in mind. Group of pastors, a group of elders. They asked me about my, about my theology, about my interpretation of certain biblical passages. They asked me about my lifestyle. They asked me about my practice, about my marriage, about my prayer life, etc., etc. And then they rejected me. And I came home that night, and Shonda was in bed, and I got in, in bed next to her, and I'd done something I've, I don't think I've ever done since or, or before that moment. I took a, an afghan or a blanket that was close by, and I put it over my head because I was ashamed. And Shonda said, what are you doing? And I said, I just don't want to look at you right now. I don't want you to see me, and I don't want to see you. And I'm going to tell you what happened, but I can't look at you. Because I was ashamed. I was ashamed of, of what they had decided. I was ashamed of their assessment of my theology, my, their assessment of my uh, obedience, their assessment of, my, of, of me. 
And I want to ask you this morning, I want to turn this question to you. Do you ever feel ashamed? Do you ever feel religiously lower class? Religiously lower class, spiritually lower class. Do you ever feel inferior? When you look around at other Christians, other churchgoers, do you ever feel like I'm not really, uh, I, I don't know if I really deserve to be here with them. I'm not on that level. I'm not with them. I'm, I'm inferior to, to, to these people around me. They're, they're so far ahead of me. They're so advanced on me. And it might be because of your sins. It might be because of one besetting sin. It might be because of a desire in your heart that you know is there, that you know is impure, and it doesn't go away, and it's, it's, it's a desire that you have. It might be because you're divorced. It might be because you have a marriage, but it's on the rocks. It might be because of bodily infirmity, because you are, you are so, your body is so broken down that you feel like you can't really serve God like you used to or like you'd like to, and, and you can't do that anymore, and you feel... You feel inferior now to the, to the young people bustling around who, uh, who can get so much accomplished. Perhaps it's that your kids are disobedient, or you feel like your kids are just not quite as good as these other kids that I see. Perhaps it's that you, uh, you miss church a lot. Perhaps it's that you drink too much. Perhaps it's that you don't know the Bible as well as the people around you. Perhaps you feel like you don't really have a good prayer life. Perhaps you lose your temper a lot. Perhaps you're hurt by some past trauma from earlier in your life, and you are still suffering with the weight of it, and you've never been able to get fully free of it and fully entangled of it. Perhaps you're struggling with depression, and so you feel less than the other people in the church. Have you ever felt like this? I have many, many times felt this way spiritually, religiously lower class, religiously, spiritually inferior. And what I want, to, what I want to, to show you this morning is that the common people of Galilee, the ordinary people of Galilee who were coming into Jerusalem on that day with Jesus were the spiritual lower class. They were people who all their lives, most of them, had felt inferior, who had felt low, who had felt like they are not up to the standards of, of a good Jew and of a, of a Bible-believing Jew, of an Orthodox Jew, of a, all these things. Two things about this crowd. This, by, by the way, in case you didn't understand, this is the crowd that's coming with Jesus from Galilee to Jerusalem. This is not the Jerusalem people. This is the crowd coming from Galilee, from up in the north. They've been traveling down, traveling down, and Jesus is now finally reaching Jerusalem. The last week of his life, he's reaching Jerusalem, and this crowd is around him, and it's a crowd of Galileans. It's a crowd of people who are coming to the festival. They're coming to the Feast of Passover. That's why they're there. And two things about the Galileans. Um, I'm not even, I didn't even mention this one, but I'll mention this one first, and then I'll do my two things. Judeans, first of all, the district they're in had little respect for Galileans, for one thing. Um, so that's one thing. But even apart from that, most of the people living in Galilee were economically lower class. You may not understand that when, you, when you're reading the New Testament, when you're reading the Gospels, but most of these people that Jesus was ministering to and dealing with and preaching to and healing were poor people. People living at the level of destitution or maybe just above. 
the amount of people who were what we would call middle class or comfortable or even higher than that, upper middle class, those kind of classes didn't really exist because it was such a small, small group of people. Most of these people were economically lower class. But this is the thing I really want you to hear. Second, most of these people were religiously lower class. They were religiously lower class. What do I mean by that? What, What am I saying? What am I trying to say by that? The Pharisees and their scribes, the Pharisees were the, were the, the spiritual elite, the theologians, the ones who, who took God's word seriously and obeyed God's word. And, and many of the people re- respected them greatly, but the Pharisees thought of the common people, the, the ordinary people of Galilee, as spiritual children, spiritual lower class, in much, much in fear. They would not sit down and eat with them. They would not associate with them. They were, and this is the masses of villagers and farmers and fishermen, and this is the way they thought of them. And in addition, he's now riding into Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem, the Pharisees aren't in charge. The Sadducees are in charge. It's another group. They have, a, they have different theology. I'm not going to go into all their theology because we don't need that this morning. But the Sadducees were the ones ruling in Jerusalem. And the Sadducees were made up of the high priests. They were made up of the elders. They were made up of the, 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 uh, the nobility, both, both the lay nobility and the religious nobility of Jerusalem. They were the ones with the power, chief priests, elders. And they had their scribes as well, their theologians and scholars. And they were the ones that ruled, and they ruled from the temple, and they ruled ruled in Jerusalem, and they also considered these masses of people as spiritually lower class, as spiritually inferior, spiritual delinquents, spirit, people who do not take God seriously, people who are not uh, up to our par. We are the, the Lord's. We are the ones who are in charge. We're the only ones who, we're the ones who run the temple. We're the, we're the, the right ones and the pure ones. And in Matthew 21, as Jesus rides towards Jerusalem on the back, I want you to picture this for a minute. He rides into Jerusalem on the back of a borrowed donkey's colt without a saddle with some coats thrown on this donkey's colt. He doesn't even have a saddle. He doesn't have any fancy gear. It's not his donkey. It's a donkey's colt. And he rides into town. And you've got to see, picture what you're seeing here. You're seeing a very poor man, a very poor man riding into Jerusalem on a donkey's colt, a borrowed donkey's colt, with coats for, for, a, for, a, for a saddle. And he's surrounded by the poor, the, the, the economically poor and the spiritually poor the people who have been rejected for so long. And he's riding into town uh, with these people around him. Um, And he's teaching the people something at this point. Why did he make such a big deal of borrowing this donkey and trying to get this donkey? Because he's teaching through a symbolic action. We don't always understand this, but the prophets and Jesus himself would often teach, not just through words, stand up and teach words, but they would teach through actions, through symbolic actions. This symbolic action that I'm doing means something. It's teaching you something. It has importance. Sometimes the teaching wasn't all caught at the time, but was caught later and as it's as been inscripturated. And we have, the church has had it. We learn what it meant even later. Um, and we begin to understand. But part of what he's teaching is this reference to Zechariah 9. Um, he's, the, the donkey is teaching. That, that just the, the reason he got this donkey and acquired this donkey so that he could ride in on this colt of a donkey is because he's teaching the people, I am king. 
I am your king, but I'm not like any other king. I am, and by, and by the way, Zechariah 9 was thought of the Jewish people as a messianic prophecy. And so he's also saying to the, yes, I am your Messiah, but I'm not a warrior Messiah. I am here, I'm coming, I'm riding into this, I'm, I'm riding into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey, and I'm teaching by this that I am humble. As Zechariah said, I am humble and I'm gentle. And I'm coming not to be served, but to serve. These people around me, these dirty, poor, uh, looked down upon by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, rejected by the, by the, by the masters and the, spirit, the theologians and the spiritual teachers, these people... These poor people, these masses of people swarming around me, I'm here for them. I'm here for them. I'm not rejecting them. I am their Messiah. I am their king. I am their savior. And I'm coming into town not to be served, not to, to set up some kind of palace and some kind of uh, situation where everyone begins to serve me, but I'm here to serve. I'm here to go to the lowest place this week, this week ahead of him on Good Friday, just a few days ahead. I'm here to go to the lowest place and to die for them, for these little children right there running by, for that lady standing over there, for that old man, for that woman. I'm here to die for them, to give myself up, to sacrifice myself for them, to, to humble myself. I'm coming to Jerusalem this week. This is, I'm entering Jerusalem, and I'm not here to, to start a war or to establish a, a palace and establish a court. I'm here to die for them. And the people in a fascinating way, we know their understanding is so limited. We know there's so many things that they didn't understand at this point that they would begin to understand later as the apostles began to teach on Pentecost Sunday and, and further on, and thousands of them would, would be part of, of, of the church. Um, we know in just, in just a few weeks uh, as Pentecost Sunday comes and then the church goes forward. Um, the people understood, but they understand in a limited way. We see this because they shout, Hosanna which means save us. What they, how they each comprehended of that salvation, we don't know. But if nothing else, they had to understand that God is on their side, that they're sinners, that they're outcasts, that they've been, they're rejected by the Pharisees and rejected by the Sadducees, but not by God, but not by their Messiah. They are not rejected. The Pharisees reject them. The Sadducees reject them. But one of the things Jesus is teaching is, is I don't reject you. The Messiah doesn't reject you. Your God doesn't reject you. You feel rejected. You feel spiritually inferior. You feel like trash. You feel like you've been criticized and rejected and mocked and pushed away uh, again and again and again. And you see the spiritual upper class. You see them moving around and you see uh, their teaching and you see what they're doing and you see, and they've been in charge for all these years. But uh, your Messiah, when he comes, he, 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 he brings a word of criticism against them and a word of welcome to you, a word of healing to you, a word of salvation to you. So they're, they're shouting Hosanna, which means save us, and they're shouting Son of David, which means Messiah. They understood. Limited understanding, I know. But they understood, and, it's, and it, to us it points to the greater truth, all that we know that, that is taught in the Scriptures about, about Jesus and about the Messiah, that yes, he was the Messiah, and he came to save. 
that he was, he was the one who would save us. And by the way, that word Hosanna is very strange because it actually says save, save us. It's actually a petition, but, we're, but we're, we, we uh, understand that it was used by the Jews at this time for praise. So it's almost like they're, they're saying save us, but they're also saying, God, praise, we're praising you for salvation. We're, we're saying save, the, the word actually means save us, save, save us. But, it, but they used it as a praise. They used it, and we know that because we use Hosanna to this day to, 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 as a praise to God. They were praising God. So they were praising God for their Messiah, praising God for salvation, and shouting Hosanna, 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 Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus teaching the people that he has come for them. The Sadducees and Pharisees reject you. The priests and the elders reject you, but your Messiah does not. The Messiah, and, 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 and make sure you understand this. The Messiah takes your sin much more seriously than even you do. He sees your sin. He recognizes it. He takes it so much more seriously than even you do. And yet he has come to save you from your sin. He, he sees it. He recognizes. He doesn't say it's nothing. He doesn't say, oh, we'll just pass that by and ignore it. He sees your sin, and he has come to deal with it head on. He has come to take that sin upon himself, to take that death upon himself, to take that punishment upon himself. He sees the sin, and he has come to deal with it definitively, finally. Not to ignore it, not to brush by it, say it doesn't matter but to deal with it. I only have one point today. My one point is this. To those of you who feel from time to time or maybe all the time, religiously lower class, religiously inferior, you are precious to God. How do I know? Your Messiah died to save you. Your Messiah died to save you, to make you a son of God, to make you a daughter of God. He died for you, to bring you into, he rode into Jerusalem on that day in order to die for his people, to bring you into his kingdom. And it doesn't matter what people think of you. It doesn't matter what other Christians think think of you. It doesn't matter their, their, the, the people who and their arrogance look down on you, the, the people who over here who criticize you for this. Or, you're a sinner, and, and you need to acknowledge your sin. The Bible teaches we need to repent of our sins. We need to acknowledge our sins. That's part of what it means to become a Christian. Um, interestingly, you think about these people, these masses of people. Many of them had already uh, heard John the Baptist preaching repented of their sins and been baptized. So many of them had already had that moment of acknowledging their sin. Many of them, remember the apostles went through all the villages of Galilee. They went, well, not all, but they went through a lot of the villages of Galilee and they swept through and they preached and they preached, repent, 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 told the people of their sin and repent. So many of these people had already heard the sermons about their sin and knew their sin. Uh, we don't know which ones, you know, but we know that, that there were many of the people in, the, in, in, this, in this group that knew of their sins already, and so they were aware of this. 
the relig- the, uh, you are precious to God. It, do- it doesn't matter what people think of you. It doesn't matter even what shame you feel. You know, shame, what is shame? Shame is like the subjective experience of your guilt. You've done something wrong, and shame is your feeling about it, your subjective feeling. Guilt is objective. You are guilty or you're not guilty. It's a fact. And Jesus deals with it. And he deals with that shame that goes with it as well, the shame that, uh, that accompanies guilt. Um, doesn't matter what shame you feel or how you feel about yourself. Recognize, uh, I'm going to pull, pull from a, another, uh, another book of the Bible, but we just studied Galatians a few weeks ago, uh, a few months ago. If you have the righteousness of Christ, what higher status can you have? Do you think you're inferior to any other Christians? Do you think they're really above you? They stand just like you before God in the righteousness of Christ. There's no inferior, there's no, there's no classes in the kingdom of God. There's no, we act like there are, we, we live like there are. People treat other people as less than, people treat others as better, and, but there is no such thing in, in the kingdom of God. In reality, we all live in the righteousness of Christ. You are forgiven, you are righteous, you are holy in Christ. You are holy in Christ. You've been set aside for God. You have been, you have been given the righteousness of Christ. You understand that having that, you are a, a brother of Jesus. You are a sister of Jesus. If you have faith in Jesus, if you recognize your sin and you have said, and you have said to Jesus, Hosanna, save me, you have been saved. You are a brother of Jesus, a sister of Jesus. It's a daughter of God, a, fa- a, a son of God. Jesus, t- and, and, and once again, I want to make sure you understand, Jesus takes your sins more seriously than you take them. He was crucified to deal with them. That's how seriously he took your sins. He takes your sins as much more seriously than you take them. You recognize them a little bit. And you try to acknowledge them and you try to say, I'm a sinner. Yes, I'm a sinner here. Yes, I've done this thing wrong. I'm a sinner But Jesus knows. He knows it all. And he also loves you more than you love yourself. Do you understand that? He he, he, uh, considers your sin. He, He takes your sin much more seriously than you do. And he loves you much more than you do. At the same time, because of his cross, on his cross, he took the sin. And on his cross, he provided for your complete redemption and forgiveness, and pardon. He made you holy. He made you righteous. And that's the one that came, was riding into Jerusalem that Sunday. He was their Messiah. He was their king, but he was a savior king, a, a, a king that was coming to save them from their sins, from their own evil, from the evil within them, to provide for forgiveness, to ransom them, to give himself as a ransom for many, to pour out his blood for the forgiveness of sins. You are precious to God. Do you believe this this morning? Basically, we go through our Christian life, um, and uh, at least this has been my story, is my understanding of, my, of the salvation that I've had for decades and decades and decades, my understanding of it was just so small. And then it grew a little bit, and then it grew a little bit, and I still don't really understand what I possess, what is mine, what's the salvation that is mine. I don't really understand it. I understand it a little bit. I have a little glimpse of it. And the more we understand it, the more we will 
rejoice, the more we will just give thanks and be humbled. And the, it, it, and, but this is an ongoing word. This is part of what the work of sanctification is. It's getting you to understand what you already have. The salvation, the forgiveness, the justification that is already yours in Jesus Christ. If you have repented and believed, understanding what you already have. And so I only have, I had one point, which was you are precious to God. And I only have one application. Let me read verse 9 again. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. I have one application this morning, and it's this. Shout Hosanna. Shout Hosanna. Do you, if, you, if you recognize, if you even just a little bit recognize your Messiah and what he has done for you and the salvation that you have because of his death, his on your behalf, then shout Hosanna, like those crowds that were so worked up and they didn't understand hardly any of what was going on, but they understood something. Do you understand that he is your Messiah? Do you understand he is your Savior and he has done it all for you? He has brought you in single-handedly. He has brought you into his kingdom, into his family, into his church, forgiven you of all your sins, cleansed you, made you holy. He has done the work. Now live in that joy. Live in that faith. Live in that hope. Live in what he has done for you. Live in it. Shout Hosanna. Live, Hosanna. Save us. And by saying save, by saying save us, you're saying, that you're saying, God, do what I know you're going to do. Do what you have promised to do in Jesus Christ. Do what I already know is accomplished on the cross. Do that work. Finish that work. Do that work. Hosanna. Prayer and praise. Asking God to do what you know he's going to do and praising him for salvation. Let's live like that. Praising God for salvation. Um, praising God. And you may, I think what I've often done in my own life is I've, I've felt like I'm past that now. Now I need to get into some, some other topics. You know, like on Wednesday night, we talked about the man of lawlessness, those kinds of topics. So let's talk, let's get into the man of lawlessness. Let's get into this topic over here. And, and all those topics are important. All those topics in their time need to be studied and thought about. But remember that it comes back to, and everything uh, your love for other people, your love for the poor, your love for the needy, your love for the, the people and your brothers and sisters in the church is going to pour out of your hosannas, your joy, and your, and your, and your uh, praising God uh, for your salvation. The more that becomes the theme of your life, the more obedience, humble obedience, and love is going to begin to trickle out of your life and pour from your life. Um, let me, uh, let me close by reading uh, just a few verses from, well, I lost it. There it is. Can we give me a second? Let me close with this. I won't read it all. I'll just read a few verses. Here's Psalm, here's Psalm 118 now in, in this context. Uh, let me skip around. Let me close with just reading a, little, a few verses from Psalm 118. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. You may say this morning, I'm not one of the righteous. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are one of the righteous. You have been brought in by the righteousness of Christ. 
by Jesus' righteousness. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. This right here is the mighty thing, the mightiest thing, the thing of salvation when Jesus gave himself for you and for me. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die but live, and I will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely. He saw my sin. He recognized my sin. Jesus suffered for my sin. But he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of righteousness, and I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. You enter through the gate with Jesus Christ because he is your Messiah. You may enter that gate. You have no right to be there apart from him. But with him, you march right in. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone, the builders rejected. Remember Christ, all these people were rejected, but Christ was rejected first by the Sadducees and the Pharisees. He was also rejected by the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, the Lord Jesus. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Can you testify that the salvation that Christ has worked is marvelous in your eyes? This is the day the Lord has made, the day of salvation. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Oh, Lord, save us. Oh, Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he, our Messiah, who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, from the church, we will bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine upon us. We were in darkness, and his light has fallen upon us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession. This is the church praising God. Join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. Christ has provided the sacrifice on the altar for us, for our forgiveness. You are my God, and I will give you thanks. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. In Jesus Christ... Brothers and sisters, whoever you are, if you believe in him, if you've repented of your sins, his love.